Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. That's me. God, I really... I shouldn't, knowing that that is what you do whenever I actually give you a break to introduce you, yourself, I really should not ever give you that break to introduce But that yourself. was like, that was, that's kind of what you were setting me up for. You don't it was, it was. It pause was. that way. No, I, I, I set up for like, here's a chance for you to introduce yourself, and now I regret it. That's me. And how are you today, Zane? I'm doing very well, thank you. We, we need to get our producer to get a soundboard. We need some... We do need some, like... Some shock jock sounds. Yeah. The helicopter and, like, the siren and the horn. Screeching tire. Screeching, you know, yeah. record scratch. We need the boy yoing yeah. yeah. We need some sound clips from some old movies. You can handle that. There we go. Just have Kirk Douglas saying something completely nonsensical. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right, we're here to talk about this UFC 292 pay-per-view card going down at the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, it's a really good pay-per-view, honestly. It 100% is. Yeah, great. And, Carried and, and I, by UFC superstar Ian Machado Gary. <laughs> as he says, I found out he said yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is almost certainly not true, but it is absolutely not true. If anybody yeah. is carrying this card, it is Sean O'Malley. Yeah, probably backed up by Cheeto Vera, and maybe even more than than Vera, Chris Weidman still. Like, ooh, that's a chilling thought. You know, if I go, if I go to Chris Weidman Instagram here, what do we got here? It's where all the kids are. So that's yeah, he's got a million followers on Instagram still. Wow. All the kids, huh? Yeah, yeah. The if kids are on the gram. Inst- they love Instagram. You heard about this new thing, Snapchat? It's getting oh, yeah, popular. No, that's, yeah. I'm personally, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the MySpace. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Marlon Vera has uh, almost a million followers on Instagram, too. And hey. Ian Gary has, like, 300,000. Yeah. So I think uh, the, the thing with Ian Gary that everyone seems to agree is that I thought it was, you know, he's he's dropping the shtick is what, is what I said the other day and, and was corrected. Like, not, not really. And that was the example. He's still doing this. I think the thing is, is that the more we are exposed to Ian Gary – the more we see things that aren't the shtick, the faux yeah. McGregor shtick, and he's quite likable. Yeah, yeah. When you, he did, you saw that video going around with him with Chris Curtis. Uh, wonderful. He, is, he showed wisdom and compassion. You know, that's yeah. a cool guy. Yeah. Like that Ian Gary. And then, but he just, you know, like I can't really fault him for still having to be doing this like braggadocious nonsense, but like, you know, it's not going to stop me from liking Ian Gary. I like no, Ian Gary no, as no, a fighter. No, no. 
yeah, I, I, I couldn't care less about that kind of stuff. I mean, honestly, if I were in his position, even not in his position, I do that kind of shit. It's, you know. Yeah, you're annoying as hell. Exactly. <laughs> I, if I'm out here, like, if you're trying to have fun and, like, pr- promote yourself or do some kind of thing or just, you know, be an ass. Yeah. If I'm going to show up in an interview and they're going to talk to me about what I think was about, oh, man, well, this is all me, clearly, like. Well, right, but see, you will be doing it ironically. It's unclear. Yeah, it's true. It is unclear. Yeah, well, that's that. that is and to be gift. fair, it's tough to tell with Irish people. It really is. You can never. They, you, they are perhaps the most deadpan, sarcastic people in Europe. Yeah, it is an entire nation begging you not to take them seriously. Yeah, they just time. they just lie to your face. That's an Irish joke. They yeah. just lie. <laughs> I've been there. I've experienced it from like customer service people. They just like roast you. <laughs> without uh, any hint that they're kidding and then yeah. they maybe maybe chuckle to show they were kidding an hour later yeah <laughs> it's it, no wonder the humorless brits hated them so oh the brits are funny come on they're funnier than the rest of europe <laughs> you got to give them that it's true it's true Jer- jerry lewis is still a superstar in france like they don't know, know. they don't know I comedy know. on the continent man they don't it's true except uh, the Finns, because they also live in a barren, frozen wasteland, and it's, there are there are a lot of funny Finnish jokes. It's true. All right. Anyway, uh, yeah, this fight card, it's great. Got a couple of good title fights at the top. Uh, Gary Magny should be interesting. Blackshear Batista is made at the last minute. I like that. I like it more than a gar- having Cody Garbrandt in there against Mario Batista. I'm going to say that right out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like seeing Cody Garbrandt lose and have terrible fights and have Joe Rogan be like, this is the greatest chess match we've ever seen when he's just like running. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not, ha- I'm not upset to have the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the blacksmith, Damon Blackshear in there. Mm-hmm. The greatest blacksmith in all of Globasia. <laughs> That's ever a, you know, made up on the spot D and D campaigns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and of course, oh, I was gonna say we also have Marlon Vera versus Pedro Munoz too. Which yep, great fights. Yep, yep. No complaints. Well, let if you didn't have another point that I talked over, I got nothing. Okay, well, let's jump in on this Aljamain Sterling Sean O'Malley fight. Yeah, I mean, um, th- this is the, this is the thing with Sean O'Malley, the the chilling truth that I think many of us had to acknowledge after that fight with Piotr Jan. Uh huh. It's just he's just way better than we want him to be. Oh yeah. Because uh, Eddie uh, Mercado did an interview with him and was asking if we had anybody had any questions they wanted to throw his way and he didn't really give much of an answer but i was fascinated to see if he would because my question was to for sean o'malley and you know he just was kind of like oh i don't listen to people so i don't care which fair i get it but was Mm -hmm. do you feel like people are starting to see you as like that peter yon fight made people see you as the fighter you see yourself as you know Mm mm-hmm how, how how do you under do you feel do you see that do you understand that that's what's happened here because 
that is what a lot of people have had to come to grips with. Is yeah. before that fight, we all were like, yeah, okay, he thinks he's great, but he is going to get pantsed by this little Russian gremlin. Yeah. And then he fought Peter Yan and had a great, hard-nosed, gutsy, thrilling fight. Yeah. Scra- scraping out with a win. You could say you didn't feel like you won it. You can say yeah. you do. This is one where I, st- I still do disagree with the consensus. Not that I think definitely Sean O'Malley won, but the consensus at the time and still online seems to be that, like, obviously Piotr Jan won that fight. And yeah, I just no. don't think it's that obvious. No, it's not. And. Sean O'Malley looked great. He came out of it, and you're like, okay, no, you're yeah. you're obviously clearly a world class fighter. He is the real deal. Yeah. <laughs> also, it is totally a lie that he doesn't care what people thinks. No, I I, I know. Given that he has espoused from the beginning of his UFC career that his main motivation is being famous. Yeah. No. I, he's so. <laughs> he he he's 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 found that interesting place that. Uh, athletes that team tend to find famous people in general tend to find it. I think it's what drives most, most of them to be famous, which is that they, they claim that they don't, you know, listen to all the noise. Yeah. But they are always highly motivated by how much they know. Everybody hates them. Yes. And what they really might do, they might not be listening to anybody at all, but they are running on almost pure persecution complex. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. think that's what drives a lot of famous people. And it's something you hear out of athletes all the time. Yeah. Even oh, yeah. Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech mm-hmm. was like, I proved the doubters wrong. Yeah, everyone was like, constantly doubting Michael Jordan. Yeah, who was like, doubting Michael are, Jordan? Larry you Bird. Are years, you are, you are like ten or fifteen years removed from retirement, following a career where you are universally recognized <laughs> as the greatest man to ever play basketball. Yeah, literally, the last man to disrespect Michael Jordan was Larry Bird. Yeah, <laughs> and it. you're getting up in front of people, and you're like, "I showed you, haters." <laughs> yeah, who, who on the face of the planet? hates Michael Jordan, even now, even now that people know what a, like, a, a wild prick he was during his uh-huh. playing days and all that, like, even now, nobody's like, oh, I hate Michael Jordan. Well, nobody's saying he's not good at basketball, certainly. They no, might just like him, but... But nobody, nobody really, yeah. He he's has... not proving that people who dislike him wrong by yeah. being really good at basketball. No. Everyone agrees he's the best. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that is absolutely a very common motivational like trick uh, that competitors use. It's not the only source of competitiveness, yeah. but it is a common one. And definitely Sean O'Malley has that, whether he realizes it or admits it or not. Yeah. Uh, but he's the real deal. He 100% belongs at the top of this division. Um, which isn't to say I think he's a perfect fighter, but um yeah, like we just have to acknowledge that Sean O'Malley is a perfectly logical choice to fight for the bantamweight title. And uh, Phil made this point, which I will echo here, as I so often do, that uh, this is a bit of a scary fight for Aljamain Sterling in that it seems not as scary as all the other guys he's already beaten. 
Yeah. Because that feeling of like, oh, this is the one you should be, you should win without yeah. problem. Yeah. And that does that does immediately bring up the fear. It's like the Alexa Grasso Valentina Shevchenko fight. Exactly. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, this is the one you should have this handled, no problem. Yeah, I mean, I didn't feel that way about Alexa Grasso to the degree I felt it about like Lauren Murphy. Yeah, sure. But still, that in in her case, that was another one. In this case, yeah. it literally does feel like there is a broader path to victory here than against Piotr Jan or Henry Cejudo or yeah. TJ Dillashaw, which, for all we know, may still be the case. It's just that that wasn't actually a fight. Yeah. Um, Sean O'Malley, it's like, oh, Piotrion took you down like four times and held you down for, for, for a few good long stretches. Um, you gave up your back to him when you did get back to your feet, and he just he's you know didn't go for the choke the way Aljamain Sterling does. Um, he managed to pressure you up against the fence, and th- this is just like... It could very well be an Aljamain Sterling first round submission, is what it feels like. It could be just the way yeah. he beat Corey Sandhagen. Just yeah, um, he loves to put that kind of pressure on guys early, and then there is also the fact that um, it seems a more forgiving matchup in some ways outside of the constant pressuring, because in some ways, while you can put Sean O'Malley up against the fence, um, his defensive footwork is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Not flawless, but it's pretty good. And he does a good job of using his jab to kind of enforce his range. And he's pretty dangerous on the counter. Yeah. So, like, he hit, he landed a bunch of shots early on Piotr Jan because Jan had felt he had to pressure him. He had to close yeah. the gap. And so he was constantly presenting targets. And worse fighters than Jan have also allowed O'Malley to just set up shop on their faces like Chris Moutinho and Tomas Almeida by just coming yeah. after him nonstop and he just lights them up. Mm-hmm. But then you have that fight with Pedro Munoz. Yeah. Who it seemed like the wise thing to do would be to pressure. I think Pedro might've had the better idea, uh, how, however deliberate it was. Cause that's kind of become his style. He just kind of held back and did low kicks. Yeah. Didn't overcommit, didn't really commit at all with anything that would bring his chin into range. Stayed very far away and just picked away at the legs. And Sean O'Malley didn't really seem to know what to do. And that is something Aljamain Sterling can do. Like, that's classic Aljamain Sterling on the feet. It really is. Move around on the back foot and kick. Um, So it's like I can very easily see a version of this fight where he rushes Sean O'Malley, you know, body locks him, double legs him, whatever, throws him to the ground, gets his back, maybe submits him, maybe doesn't. And then if there's one of those things where, where Aljo has to kind of slow down a bit to recover, as is often the case, he can probably do that because yeah. Sean O'Malley is not, uh, he has modeled himself on Conor McGregor in so many ways, but he lacks McGregor's athleticism. He lacks McGregor's sort of smoothness in mid-range. And he lacks McGregor's instinct for pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got that, like, first-layer killer shot. He's got phenomenal timing. He's got the crazy long reach and the big hands and the big power. Um, And I think he's got better boxing fundamentals, like, as an outside fighter than McGregor did. But... 
he's not as good in the pocket and he doesn't pressure like McGregor did. And uh, that seems like such a basically just an easy way for Sterling to like take time off if he needs to and probably continue winning as he's taking time off. Mm hmm. And all of this is why it feels a little disconcerting because <laughs> I haven't felt this way about an Alcho fight in some time. Where I'm like, oh, you got this. Yeah. And there is the fact that if he does try to pressure hard, he's going to get hit super clean, that O'Malley is incredibly accurate, and that Aljo makes so many strange, um, uh, untechnical defensive moves. Yeah. There's just a lot of ways for him to just run into a nasty, nasty shot. And you can't forget that, like, maybe the style matchup favored him in hindsight more than we thought beforehand. But he hurt Piotr Jan more than I've ever seen anyone hurt Piotr Jan. Yeah. He hurt him more times than Marab Dewalish really did in a fight that Dewalish really dominated from post to post. Uh, he, he he rocked him twice. He split his face open. Um. And, uh, you know, Aljo's a durable fighter. He really is. But mm-hmm. he does have that one just instant KO loss to Marlon Moraes. He ducked into a high kick. O'Malley has a good high kick. More than that, he is just all around a very accurate, dangerous fighter from long range. But I'm going to pick Aljamain Sterling. For yeah. all the reasons I laid out. I just can't not pick him. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that, like, Piotr Jan had several successful takedowns in that fight with O'Malley. It was arguably his most consistently successful, and not even arguably, it was yeah. his most consistently successful move was taking O'Malley down. Yeah. And it, it is really hard to look at that and think, you know, Sean O'Malley, who, as you know, when he's not being pressured into an absolute war of a firefight um you know tends to really kind of take his time and pick his spots it, that you know if O'Malley's not going to just go out there and KO him right away he's going to get taken down that's yeah point. And, and, and O'Malley taking his time is, unfortunately, is wasting a lot of time because yeah. he's not a great defensive fighter. His positioning yeah. is pretty good, but um, he's just really kickable in particular. And um, I think it's more than other fighters is he is just prone to like actually get injured by that. It happened in the Cheeto fight. It happened in his fight with Sukumtot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this guy, this is a guy who had, uh, I just found this out the other day. He had hip surgery when he was like 25. O'Malley. Yeah. Wow. That's like an old man surgery. So like he has some long-term issues with his lower body, which adds context to the two like, uh, leg injuries basically, which have, um, I mean, both of which should have lost in the fight. One is just a catastrophic brain fart on the part of Zukumtot. Um, but yeah, like his, his legs aren't great. So this is what I mean is like, even if it's not the Aljo a game plan, Aljo is perfectly capable of just landing a ton of kicks on him Mm -hmm. and he doesn't really deal with it. Well, yeah, the one note I have for pause here, really, in all of this, is that 
This is actually the first time in Aljamain Sterling's career where he does not have either a clear reach advantage or absolute reach parity. That's true. The same, I mean, it's uh, only 72 inches for O'Malley to 71 for Sterling, mm-hmm. but Sterling has never faced anybody with a reach longer than his. Sandhagen, there was surely some parity because Sandhagen is so tall. Yeah, there was height parity, but Corey Sandhagen's reach is 69 and a half inches. And what's Aljo's? 71. And and their height difference? Uh, Sandhagen is 5'11". Sterling is what? Five eight, five five seven. That that to me is reach parity. Yeah, yeah. You're four inches taller. Your arms are only two inches shorter. You have the same length of arms. But but to that note, Sean O'Malley is also five eleven. Yeah, and with a longer reach. Very long arms. Yeah. So, I will point out, however, that uh, Sean O'Malley has also never fought somebody his size since Cheeto Vera. Yeah. But he has, but at least, you know, there is Cheeto Vera out there, like... Yeah, but Cheeto beat him. True. No, it's true. But it is is interesting because there is a lot that Aljo does that is insulating through range. He is a very, like, oh, I'm just going to stay out here. And as you say, he makes a lot of really awkward defensive decisions. Yeah. Things that are just, they're not great. You know, and he gets stung in a lot of his fights, uh, you know, in, in his better, more competitive fights. He gets stung really hard Yeah, for a lot of those decisions. Yeah, not because he's not durable, but because he he's not in a position to uh, like credit to Aljo. We've said this before yeah. that he is very active and attentive on defense. Yeah. You know, he is out there making reads and trying not to get hit clean. And it often works very well. But when he does get hit in the midst of one of these moves, he's usually like off balance and out of position and doesn't see it coming. Yeah. Because of how he bends and leaves his stance and looks down at the floor, Um, which, you know, I I will say the 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 head kick slash knee that Marlon Marais landed would have knocked out almost anyone not named Cheeto Vera. Sure, sure. But possibly we, even Cheeto. Like, there there were moments in, in that Peter Piotr Jan fight too where like especially the first one where Jan would catch him with something and Sterling would basically just get like shook up for a moment yeah. and have yeah. to regather himself because he was so out of position to take that shot. Right. And it, that that has to be a concern with somebody yeah. like O'Malley. Like, it's hard to watch O'Malley fight Piotr Jan and have that moment early in the fight where he just hits a monstrous one-two. Mm-hmm. And Jan, you can see it just, you know, if it weren't Piotr Jan, it probably would have knocked almost anybody else out. Jan yeah. was absolutely just having to skitter back away from those punches after getting cracked. Yep. And Sterling, part of, you know, one of the things, too, that we've seen from him is he's he's learning to fight around a jab a lot more than he used to. And so he spends more time trying to, you know, he, he's spending more time trying to box than he used to. Yeah. And he has for some time now. I mean, this is yeah, something yeah, we yeah. were pleased to see because his earlier game felt so, like, incongruous and... Yeah. Uh, disconnected, but this is a time when, like, I think being kick Aljo would really serve him well 
on the show. Yeah, it might. So it's you can't write O'Malley off at all here. No. You know, you have to look at the idea that they're if O'Malley doesn't get knocked out, if he doesn't get subbed or put away quickly, that he is all he's gonna stay very dangerous in this fight. That fight he had with Piotr Jan was proof positive that he yeah. is absolutely capable of being tough and rallying through adversity. And and one of the most impressive things about that fight is that um he did gas in the second yeah. round. Like this is a problem for Sterling, and it is a problem for O'Malley. Mm-hmm. But O'Malley recovered remarkably well after that second round. Mm-hmm. Like that was a thing that was, and it shouldn't have been as much a surprise as it was because, yeah, while he's had fights earlier in his career where he's gassed, he did also precede that fight with like two third round finishes. Yeah, against Moutinho, which granted he was just landing all day completely one-sided but he was having to work a lot yeah. and was slowing down about midway through he can recover yeah he can kind of he reaches a certain point of tiredness where he stops trying to take the person's head off and and defaults back to the efficient sound fundamental boxing which i think is really the best part of his game mm-hmm. and he did that against john he he the, the second round was insane by the end of it he was like barely moving his feet as he was at the start uh, was like overthrowing on every punch. He looked completely gassed. And then round three, he comes out and I think he looks really good throughout round mm-hmm. three until he gets like blanketed for two minutes. Yeah. Um, and also, Pyotrion, the great adapter, it was Sean O'Malley who managed to find a good adjustment to seal the biggest moment of that third round when Jan basically st- st- like stopped countering so much and started just trying to draw bigger openings out of O'Malley, probably looking for takedowns by just staying behind his guard. And O'Malley found the uh, feint into the flying knee to hurt him for the second time in the fight because of how Jan was fighting. So he was not just uh, refreshed in round three. He was still like thinking and, yeah. and, and figuring out new ways to get past the great adaptive fighter that is Piotr Jan. Yeah, no, he's... He's the real deal. He's the real deal. He's a great creative fighter. He's a great opportunist. Um, It'll make for a a thrilling fight. I have to pick Sterling as well. You know, it just... It does feel like... It it is wild to look at O'Malley's resume and think before Piotr Jan was... Halley and Paiva... Mm-hmm. O'Malley's best win. He's been fed a lot of forgiving matchups, yeah, which is I mean, why the the on fight was such a surprise because his last real test before that was Cheeto, who beat him. Yeah, because yeah, he had the no contest against Pedro Munoz in a fight that was going okay but not great. He wasn't winning it. I don't think he was. He, yeah, if he if he was winning it, it's only because both neither man was doing enough to like make a significant impact with the judges. Yeah. But by my recollection, the low kicks were yeah, most of what was most of what was working. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah, Chris Matino, you got Thomas Almeida who would be would have felt like his best win, but that was on the end of a three fight losing skid where all the the wheels were yeah, clearly flying off of Almeida. Yeah. And he's never fought since. Yep. 
And you, then you got his loss to Marlon Vera. You got a win over Eddie Wineland, 2020 Eddie Wineland. Yep. Jose Canones, Andre Sukumtan, Terry and Ware. Like, mm-hmm. I know I'm leader of the Howley and Paiva fan club, but before Jan, it's kind of like, oh, this is a good fighter at the at the peak of their career. Mm-hmm. That was kind of as close as he got. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is that that kind of thing. It makes it still just feel like, you know, they're they're Aljamain Sterling still has depths that Sean O'Malley has never been tested at. Yes. O'Malley has never faced any kind of significant grappling game in his career. Pedro Munoz might have had that kind of game, but they didn't never get there. Nope. And there is no doubt in my mind, Sterling is going to try to get there and probably very quickly. Yeah. That's what he tends to do. If he doesn't, then sure this gets more interesting but at the moment you have to take sterling yeah sterling is the favorite open at minus 294 is currently up at minus 245 sean o'malley opened at plus 216 is currently at plus 213 all right that brings us to a woman's strawweight title fight zhang wei li against amanda lemos and uh yeah, solid. You know what? Uh, it's not like... Le- Lemos has not really created any profile with the UFC, but she's a solid, credible title contender, and this should be a fun fight. Yeah, I mean, she's certainly the only person I can think of who is on the same tier as Weili Zhang as, a, as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, that in itself is interesting because... Um, both of these, I have a similar question about both of these women, which is like, how good are they if they're not way faster and stronger and harder hitting than their opponents? Yeah. I mean, even when she was stronger and harder hitting than Rose Namajunas, Wang, uh, Wei Zhang or Zhang Wei really struggled to, uh, yeah, I'm not sure she's harder hitting than Rose to be fair, but Stronger. Uh, stronger, no doubt. And she yeah. still got out-wrestled by her in their yeah. second fight. Yeah. And got knocked out by her very quickly in their first fight. Lamosh, meanwhile, you know, got choked out on her feet by Jessica Andrade. Yeah. Which is like, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> that just shouldn't happen. That's not something a professional fighter should allow. Yep. And so you have to you have to keep you you have to ask still too with with Lemos if there's a fight where she's really pushed and can't be in physical control of it yeah how good is her cardio really still that is that is one of the things that will be deciding my pick but yeah because she's she fights with a ton of tension yeah still and you know it's it's all this like there's all the speed and power to her game that she is t- channeling, you know, just in the most I am waiting for you to step to me so I can crush you kind of way Yeah. where you could practically like, you know, it's like when you clench your fist so hard, your arm shakes. <laughs> That's kind of how Le- Lamo seems like she's fighting all the time. 
It's just like, I'm just waiting for you to step in. So I, I she fought uh, Marina Rodriguez for, you know, two, two rounds and change. Yeah. And landed 29 significant strikes. I remember being a um, a preteen and watching this um, music video, which was a Linkin Park song. I think it was Crawling in My Skin. Yes, that sounds right. And, and the footage was uh, from Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. It, was of, it was of Trunks, you know, doing his like first big power up. Yeah. And he like when the when the first chorus hits, he like clenches his fist so hard that blood starts coming out of his hand. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so cool at the time, even though it doesn't make sense. It, yeah. That's Amanda Lamush with the yeah. Lincoln, the Lincoln Park song included. Yeah, no, it really is. So <laughs> and yeah, you know, she it's uh you know, it, it's a testament to her power and her speed that 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 kind of fight still works for her really well yeah. and that she can and, be such a knockout artist in at women's flyweight or strawweight rather. And she has improved, um, with like the quieter parts of, of yeah. standup technique, like her, she, she keeps her stance better. She has a jab. I mean, that's yeah. a massive improvement. She uses it quite a bit. Um, it's a good one. And, mm-hmm she stays on balance more like she has some idea of how to set up and how to actually work her way into range before just bombing away. Mm -hmm. Um, But the big thing for me with Lamush is that she is an incredibly one at a time striker to this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's so much is built on. There is an element of like switch up and threatening different things because of that jab. And the fact that she has a kicking game as well as her big right hand. But it is all very like old school Jackson Wink. Like, yeah. am I going to do this or am I going to do that? Nothing comes in a sequence. Um, I just don't think she's comfortable in the range where in in mutual range where she could land a strike, then adjust her position, then continue throwing like that is beyond her. Yeah. Um, by that measure, Wei Li Zhang is a significantly better pocket fighter. Yes. Because... She may not be perfectly technical, but she will slang punches mm-hmm. in mid-range, and she will fire back in combination. The problem I see for Zhang here is I don't know that she knows how to initiate those exchanges. Yeah. Because she threw some sick combos against Jessica Andrade. She threw a boatload of sick combos against Joanna and Jacek. She can find these, but they're all counters. Yeah. And when she had her rematch with Rose Namajunas, I think we were all at the time expecting her to pressure, which she's capable of doing. She's done it in earlier fights. But her approach to that fight, which uh, granted it worked pretty well for a time, was was quite passive. Mm -hmm. She stayed far away and she tried to like outkick Rose, which seemed like a crazy idea given that she'd been knocked out in kicking range in their first fight. So again, credit to her for doing it well and adding some layers to that approach. But that was her response to getting knocked out at long range. It was not to say, I'm stronger than you. I'm going to get in your face and test you and do that thing that I've, I should have seen numerous prior opponents do, which is kind of break your will. Yeah. She hung back against Rose 
And I think that has just sort of become her style. Yeah. What I'm saying is that my feeling is that this could be a very tepid fight. Yeah, it could. I think a big thing, I think we're going to see a lot from, from uh, Wei Lei Zhang is she's going to try to wrestle. I Absolutely. think she's really going to try to wrestle Lemos a lot. And that's the other reason I'm going to pick her. But yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't. I don't see. I mean, the the one shot kill power is there, so yeah. I can't discount Lamosh for that. You know, she's got, she has power to her strikes, to her punches, especially that most, almost everybody else in that division does not have. Correct. And Wei Zhang can she can get caught up flurrying and eat shots. You know, she is not a defensive master when she's deciding to sit down in the pocket and throw a combination. Yeah. I can't discount it, but she also seems to be, to me, a, a fighter who comes in with very particular plans on how to beat an opponent. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine she's going to look at Amanda Lamos and not think I should just out-wrestle this person. Yeah. Even there, I'm curious to see, because I, I don't know that Zhang Weili is a great wrestler so much as she is a willing one, and again, a very athletic one. Yeah. Um, Lamush is not, it hasn't been tested as much as I'd like, but she's not altogether easy to take down. No. I don't know that she's a great wrestler, but she is also, again, on that level of physicality. She is, she is. It, it, I think the, the big thing, like we you alluded to earlier, is just that if Wei Zhang can keep initiating that kind of fight, she can yeah. probably make her tired. Yes. That that is kind of what I'm banking on was is Zhang's willingness to take the fight everywhere. In fact, her I think increasing need to take the fight yeah. everywhere, regardless of who she's fighting. Um and her gas tank. Yep. Which is good, you know? Yeah. It is, it is. I hate picking both champions to retain on a on a on a night with two title fights, though. Yeah, it really always feels like a setup for chaos. <laughs> well, I would love some chaos here again. I yeah. I, I I I came into this one being pretty hyped to just see these two super athletes bang it out, and then I yeah. was like, well, Shang's probably going to hang back, and Amanda can't throw combinations. Yeah. So true. probably as long as we're on the feet, we're not seeing a war. Yeah. Uh, a little chaos would be welcome. It would yeah, be I, fascinating to me to see, honestly, what would happen with like a Rose Namajunas, Samantha Lamosh fight. In the, oh, yeah. Like, you know, Rose is clearly much more technical, but if she is going to fight with the trepidation that she had against for Carla Esparza. I mean, is Rose even ever going to fight again? Yeah, I don't know. How long has it been? It's been, it's been a minute. I guess it hasn't been quite as long as I think. That it, was, yeah, it, it, it was a year and a couple months ago, basically. Yeah. But still, you know, Rose, she does seem like a fighter who is increasingly encountering the war within herself that yeah. as a person she does not actually like fighting yeah it seems to be where rose I mean, just keeps ending up i think she likes winning 
She lo- yeah, I think she loves. She winning. likes beating people up, but yeah, she clearly is and is and always has been a person who feels a great deal of pressure. And she reached this incredible peak during those couple of title runs where she was just yeah. performing at her utmost potential. And then everything before the Esparza fight actually began, something was broken where yeah. she was yeah, so suddenly finding solace in not losing rather than the idea of getting out there and, and feeling the thrill of busting somebody up. Yeah. And even in the, the Zhang Wei Li rematch, there was a strong indication of that because yeah. she spent a lot of that fight taking Wei Li down and doing nothing. It's that damn guruification of uh, Trevor <laughs> Whitman. Yeah, I, I think that's probably part of it. Yeah, it's a small, it's a small part. But it it's is also, also just Rose's psyche. Like, d- yeah. try as he might, Trevor Whitman has not actually ruined Justin Gaethje. He has no. gotten him to fight very differently from how he used to, but he's still identifiably Justin Gaethje. There's no changing that. Rose yeah. Namajunas was there's a there's a chemical reaction there between. Whitman's calm, horse whispering guru style, and Rose's uh, insecurity. Yeah, her neurosis. Yeah, this isn't me hating on her, by the way. No, like you no. know, this there's a lot of pressure at this level, yeah. and people respond. Even great, great athletes respond to pressure in different ways. She would not be the first, or even the best, um, great championship competitor to like get to the top perform well and then just like vanish from the public eye and crumble psychologically that happens I mean, a lot yeah you didn't exactly crumble psychologically but gsp 100 you know seems to have gotten to a place in his life where he got to you know he eventually got to a place where he's just like i just i don't want to do this anymore yeah you know and gsp hasn't even gone like crazy like some of them yeah. literally go crazy it's a yeah. lot of pressure and uh rose rose might be the the, the bobby fisher also too, mma like you know she started this when she was like 17 or 18 or whatever she's mm-hmm. now just now 31 it it would be it, the most normal thing she's ever done in her life for her to find as she exits her 20s that her priorities have shifted sure <laughs> you know sure like and also I you know, I can speak to this. You get older, the things you were a little neurotic about as a kid, they they often just get worse. Yeah. So, you know. Anyway. Tough. Wei Li Zhang opened at minus three twenty six. She's currently at minus three oh two. Amanda Lamosh opened at plus two seventy four, currently plus two fifty six. The big thing is really for me, it's just very difficult to pick somebody at the title level who doesn't to at fighting at the at the title level who does not fight in the modern striking meta you know yep not throwing combinations in volume who's depending on single technical moments of brilliance it's a very you know not a lot of fights are won that way anymore at the highest levels both styles based on physical attributes but yeah one far more limited in how it exploits those attributes all right that brings us to a welterweight bout. Ian Gary, Neil Magny, and uh What a brilliant call out by Ian Gary. Cause I cause simultaneously I'm having I'm double thinking myself. Yeah. I'm like, man, nobody calls out Neil Magny. Awesome. You know? Wow, ballsy yeah. move. And then at the same time, I'm like, 
easy. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> definitely picking Ian Gary here. You yeah. You, you shouldn't be allowed to 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 have your cake and eat it too to that degree. No, no. You um, really shouldn't. <laughs> I don't know how he pulled it off, but I'm definitely gonna pick Ian Gary here. Well, even the UFC was like, you can't, no, you're fighting Jeff Neal. That's what you're doing. And that was, that was a good solid, like, oh, okay, you're going to throw one twos at range and occasionally be really hittable. Jeff Neal is a a, a winnable, but interesting test of that. Tough and powerful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'll tell you what I'd love to see after this, assuming Gary wins, I'd love to see Ian Gary versus Shavkat Rachmanov. Oh, yeah. Goodness me, is that a matchup I want to see. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Not one I'm confident at all that Ian Gary would win, but one that I think would be very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But this one, I got plenty of confidence, and I think there's good reason for that. Um, Yeah. First of all, uh, Ian Gary seems one of the least likely candidates to fall under Neil Magny's spell. He the he has done an absolutely since that Darian Weeks fight, Ian Gary has done a incredibly good job maintaining his own range. Yeah. It is far and away, I would say, his best trait as a fighter and as an incredibly stretched out tall welterweight that he finds his distance and he stays there. Yeah. You know, more than that, he, um, and this was particularly highlighted in his last fight. He knows how to beat each opponent. Yeah. He comes into the fight. Like he's Ian Gary is definitely a student of the game. He is, mm-hmm not a cowboy Cerrone. He is a fighter who enjoys the process of studying his opponents and tailoring and tweaking his own game, uh, to develop a strategy to work against them specifically. Yep. Um, which isn't to say that he's like radically transforming himself. Like in, in MMA that is so often understood to mean like, Oh, I'm going to wrestle this fight. I'm going to grapple this fight. Exactly. He's still doing Ian Gary stuff, but, he is looking for particular openings against Daniel Rodriguez. He called his shot. Yep. Publicly. I'm going to KO this dude with a head kick. Right head kick. With a right head kick. I've seen it on the tape. It's going to happen. And I think um, there is a certain element in that fight. And this doesn't take away from how impressive the result was. There is a certain element of him manufacturing that result because he had called it. Sure. Sure. Being like, I've said it. But he only called it so confidently because he literally did see it in the tape. Yeah. And it was possible for him to force it and try to try to muscle the fight in that direction where he could find that shot because he knew how to do that. He knew it was it was possible. And it was, yeah, drawing out like the feints and the parries and firing the body kicks from the open stance. And he just knew he was going to get Daniel Rodriguez to extend his hands and duck into a high kick. Yep. That's how you do it. He made it look really, really easy uh, against the best guy he's fought yet. It was perhaps his easiest performance to date. Yep. Um, the other thing is that 
usually, uh, so first of all, there's just no, there's no reason to think that Ian Gary will come into this fight and be like surprised into doing something that is completely out of character for him. He strategizes specifically, but those strategies always take advantage of what he actually does well. Yeah, he's not going to go. I would be shocked if he went out there and Phil wrote himself where he's like, oh, I've watched every every second of Neil Magny footage ever. I'm going to clinch with him. (laughs) (laughs) It happens, you know, Um, I I know I've told this before, but I I share it all the time. Um, And it gives me a chance to talk shit about Justin Buckles, who is just like a just a disgusting little person. he was the head coach at Team Alpha Male when Josh Emmett fought Mirsad Bektic. Mm-hmm. And I scouted Mirsad Bektic for an off, a non-Team Alpha Male coach, uh, Kieran Fitzgibbons of uh, Combat Sports Academy. And um, I was like, Mirsad Bektic is an insane scrambler. He's a beast from top position. Josh Emmett's a good boxer and he's comfortable in the pocket and he, and he hits super hard. Obviously you should jab this guy up, make him flinch and knock his ass out, which is fortunately what happened. Justin Buckles's idea was to have Josh Emmett replicate Darren Elkins fight with Mirsad Bakhtich. Oh, what? They were like, they were like, it worked before that was the logic two completely different fighters in a fight that Darren Elkins was losing the entire time until he won. Yeah, no. And with a style that is nothing like Josh Emmett. So that, that just, I just use this constantly as an example of like, just cause people are, their whole life is fighting and they're wholly invested in it. They can make bizarre tunnel vision decisions when it comes to fight preparation. Oh yeah. No. Anyway, I don't think Ian Gary's one of those guys. I think no. he's a, he is a smart preparer. Um, the other thing is that I have a, a lot of people who I assume don't come into a Neil Magny fight expecting to clinch with him. They like the leech didn't expect he was going to try to out wrestle him the whole time. Yeah, he was he was hitting him on the feet. He was having a lot of success. It's the size that makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, and. Ian Gary is a a tall guy. Neil Neil Magny's still going to be bigger than him. Gary's one Same of these guys, height, but he, yeah. Magny has like six inches of reach on him. He has a massive reach advantage. Yeah, he's one of these guys like um, the aforementioned Corey Sandhagen. Yeah, who is quite tall, but his arms are actually a little his wingspan's a little shorter than his total height. Um, but you know he is big. He's bigger than most yeah. of the guys that Neil Magny freaks out like the leech. Yep. And he is particularly good, as you said, at not just maintaining his range, but actually like um, carefully getting into his range. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has a great ability to grab the initiative when he enters the pocket using his jab, using feints and using that moment of initiative to take the small steps necessary to put yourself in position to then string shots together without like falling into the clinch or whatever. This is why he doesn't overextend yeah. uh, from his ideal distance because he, uh, he, he just doesn't uh, grant that maybe it's different. No Magni is long. It does freak mm-hmm. a lot of people out, but so far Ian Gary has gotten into range very calmly. Yeah. Uh, and technically, and I, I see no reason uh, to think that he can't do that to Neil Magny, who, despite the height, is not actually that imposing of a range striker. 
No. Yeah, go on. I say, actually, kind of looking at that Phil Rowe fight, I mean, I know Rowe also had height and uh, actual reach parity straight on with Magny. But Magny's striking in that fight looked slower and uglier. Yeah. It looked, it felt a little like maybe there's a step missing from Magny's game. And I think Magny's also a guy who just shows up in different, he fights so much. It's true. He's had some moments over the years where it's like his jab is nothing. It's just like this weird flappy backhand. And those fights have sandwiched performances in which he is actually just lancing people with a really good jab. He very, he has ups and downs, I think, but yeah, he's also, he's been fighting forever and he's He's been fighting forever. Uh huh. And I, he just like when he had to go after Roe, when he had to chase Roe in the brief moments where of lucidity, where Roe was like, maybe I shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't clinch with this guy. Uh-huh. It was very straight armed and it was very wide strikes from yeah. Magni. Like he yeah. really was having trouble chasing Roe down. Yeah. And it was really Roe's insistence of like, no, I'll come to you. Mm hmm that created a lot of the clinches that let Magny into that fight. And that is mostly how Magny gets the clinches that win him fights. People come yeah. to him. And I just, I don't think Gary's going to fall into that at all. It, yeah. does, it doesn't think, seem right. I think when someone just slides into their range and starts teeing off on Magny, who usually is backed up fully to the fence at this point, mm-hmm. when it's like Ponzinibbio or Lorenz Larkin, and I assume Ian Gary, they just... Or Shavkat Rachmanov. Or Rachmanov. There's a lot of target to hit. He's not great defensively. As long as you don't fall into the clinch, you can kind of just tee off. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I am expecting not only Ian Gary, but I am expecting a finish. Yeah. I agree. Magni, this this feels like the kind of fight where Magni just gets blown out, honestly. Yeah. It's one or the other with Neil. Yep. It's either a re- some somebody gets sucked into his game and he beats them in a just a, a like a grappling brawl basically. Yep. Or it's it is a specialist who will not be drawn out of their specialty and they smoke him. Yep. Gary is a massive favorite. Opened at minus four hundred five. Currently minus four eighty eight. Neil Magny opened at plus three twenty nine. Currently up at plus three eighty seven. The idea of carrying a pay-per-view card at the Neil Magny fight, though, <laughs> more even than like social media numbers or any sort of like recognition or anything like that. People are the, dying to see me fight this Neil Magny. <laughs> yeah. The idea that you could carry a pay-per-view card with a fight against Neil Magny is the funniest thing to me. Yeah, only in words like us are excited to see someone call out Neil Magny, and we yeah. we're total smarks in that we know that. It's also bullshit because we're fully expecting him to win easily. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a Bantamweight bout. Damon Blackshear, the uh, pal- rogue pa- paladin, whatever. I don't know. Nonsense. Those are conflicting classes, but you know. Yeah, I, that you are embarrassing yourself right now. <laughs> <laughs> Mario the, the tiefling demand lecture is definitely the name of a tiefling yeah the dra- the dragonborn he's, he's a dragonborn 
a different franchise. There are oh. dragon people in new D&D, but I can't remember what they're called. I thought D&D had Dragonborn. Is that what they're called? Yeah. Well, I'm going to look this up, Zane. You better be right. I'm, I'm right. But yeah, our, our resident uh, Dark Wizard or... Uh, Damn it, they are called Dragonborn. Yeah, our, our, our resident sorcerer, Damon mm-hmm. Blackshear. That's right. Taking on Mario Batista. Descending from his lonely tower to make war right. on Mario Batista. And this fight rocks. Because sure. Mario Batista is fighting with the anger of a man who has believed for years that he would be a really great fighter. Mm-hmm. And then got totally pantsed a couple times. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you, I remember before he fought Corey Sandhagen and watching tape on Mario Batista and being like, man, this dude fights with a lot of anger and aggression. Just really, like, charges at and takes the fight to people. Not always that smart, but, like, you know, really trying to pressure and walk people down. And then he gets armbarred by Corey Sandhagen. Comes out at a couple wins, gets knocked out by Trevin Jones. He has the only style that ever loses to Trevin Jones. Yep. Reckless aggression. Reckless aggression. And we've seen so often in fighters over the years that, that those kinds of losses will make them try to become your dreaded ta- capital T technical. Mm-hmm. Where they're like, oh, well, I guess I can't be aggressive. That, that, that's what lost me the fight. Mm-hmm. I, gotta, I agree with Joe Rogan. Fighting smart does mean being boring and passive. Exactly. I got to take my foot off the gas. I got to. I got to dial it back. I got to become a more technical fighter. Mario Batista is the fresh air re- rejection of that. Nonsense. That's right. Hell no. But he's just like I just got to be a. I just got to be better. I yeah. just got to go get better. I got to be a better wrestler. I got to be a better grappler. I got to be a better striker. I got to choose my targets better. I got to mm-hmm. fight better. And he has just been stomping the shit out of people. And it is fun as hell to watch. Yeah. We, we both really enjoy Mario Batista's style. Yeah. I mean, just the, that fight he had with Benito Lopez, where he just came out and was like, what if I just punch the shit out of your body? <laughs> what are you going to do about that? Benito Lopez didn't have any, he didn't have any answer. Mm-hmm. At all. It was just like, oh, I came out to have a scrambly, fun, aggressive, like, you know, we'll go to war fight with you. I didn't come out here with you to just, like, roast me with five punch combos starting at my body and moving up to my head every time. Just sap my will. Yeah, it was such a definitive part of the fight that that is what they chose for the the ESPN Plus thumbnail. Yeah. It's just Batista sinking a a right hand into uh, Lopez's sternum. And then, yeah, against Guido Canetti, it's just like, what if I just throw you around the ring? What if I just don't buy into all of this my power kicks nonsense mm-hmm. and I just throw you all over the place? What happens? He absolutely stomps Guido Canetti. Mm-hmm. Fighting with Demond Blackshear is going to be a lot of fun with this yeah. because what we have seen out of Blackshear lately is he's always had the speed to be a very good fighter. And 
he's marrying that to clearly better scouting because he claims that he knew he could twist her Jose Johnson. I don't, I don't understand how you can tech. I don't understand how you can watch tape and be like, oh yeah, there's a twist. There's a twister right there. (laughs) I don't know, but he's doing it. And he's adding enough confidence to his striking that you have to pay attention to it. Which, for somebody as fast as he is, and as dynamic as he is on the ground, you don't need a lot standing, you know? Mm -hmm. I am going to pick Mario Batista here. I think that his decision-making has been great lately, and I think that Blackshear still, like, Styling on people like Jose Johnson and right, uh, oh, who was it in the fight? Oh, uh, I always forget his name, the Brazilian guy. Now that he won that fight, Fabricio Verdum. Yes, Fabricio Verdum. Uh, but on Luan, Luan Lacerda, mm-hmm. like they're fighters who want to have like sort of contained, slow-paced fights that they dictate both Lacerda and Johnson. And Batista doesn't. He is going to want to go out there and press Johnson with the kind of fight that Fareed Basharat did, or yep. Yusuf Zalal did. Where, more so. I mean, yeah, more, more aggression than... More than, yeah. Than more Zalal, than Zalal. Certainly. Yeah. But he's going to go out there and he's going to be like, okay, well, what if I just drag you into my war? Mm-hmm. That I've been increasingly, uh, increasingly productive with and dominant with, and Blackshear in those kinds of fights in the past, at least he's given up. He's been willing to give up initiative, yeah, with the idea that he can scramble back and win. And I think Batista is too good with the style that he is creating to let that happen especially on super short no- short notice for Blackshear. You yeah, know, right. He, he just fought a few days ago when he's fighting again now. Um, but, like, this is also a legit test of it, ha- how much better has Blackshear gotten. Like, if he can just stay alive in striking exchanges with Batista, give him a jab to think about, give him a kick to think about on the way in, then maybe he can he can be the one that initiates the takedowns, that initiates the grappling offense, and won't be fighting from behind. Sure. And if he can do that, you know, it's still... Batista is owning people, but he's owning people that self-destruct. You know? Even Brian Kelleher is no, notoriously a fighter who has terrible first rounds. Mm-hmm. Benito Lopez hadn't fought for uh, two, three years going into that Batista fight and yeah, was always just kind of a wild, messy, I'll have a brawl, we'll see what happens fighter. There, he's not there for somebody to just be like, what if I dictate a very precise fight meant to exploit your problems kind of opponent. So it'll be a good, you know, it'll be a good test for both guys for, 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 uh, for Batista, he gets an actual, he gets an athlete with a game that doesn't go away. 
Blackshear has been in a lot of really hard fights. He's not, you know, Guido Canetti's a great athlete, but his his style of fight, you you weather it, it dies. Blackshear, Basharat, and Zalal, and even Sabatello and Sabatini in the past, like they could take a fight where they could dictate the they could dictate the action, but Blackshear doesn't ever just like stop fighting or get pushed out of the fight. It's always he's gonna try and work really hard to yeah. win his win positions back. <clears throat> so we'll see for Batista if he can be the cage commanding fighter he's looked like against somebody that won't just go away. And for Blackshear, we'll get to see him try to do his thing against somebody who is prepared to take a very well-considered high-action front-foot fight to him. Yeah, it's the fact that they've been such um, quick finishes for Batista. Yeah, these recent wins, like he, there. Of course, he is a fighter who has had a lot of fights go the distance or go into the second and third round, mm-hmm. and has always fought super hard no matter what. But um, there is always a concern when somebody sort of shows a new level yeah. um, of how sticky those improvements really are. Yep. That oftentimes a fighter will come out in the first round, they have their new approach, and then they default to their instincts when the yeah. fight gets a little crazy and they get a little tired. Um, so that that's what I'm curious about. I, I am also inclined to pick Batista, though, because I fully expect him to grab the initiative first and be really hard to wrest it away from. Yeah. I think the the striking improvements that Blackshear has shown um, have been against people who just kind of let him do striking. Yep, yeah. It's right? very like, much... He's getting to... He, he's getting time and space to play with new tools. Exactly. And, and against Luan Lacerda, he kind of, like, stiffly walked forward. Yeah, he got Lacerda, a lot by Lacerda. Yeah, and Lacerda, but but still Lacerda, with his footwork, didn't really, like, resist the forward movement. Yeah, yeah. And against, um, you forgot Lacerda's name, now I'm forgetting uh, uh, other Johnson. dude's name, Johnson, Jose, Jose Johnson. Johnson. Against Johnson, he would he just bullied him. Yeah. He just got in his face, and yeah, I mean, that, that is definitely a good look for a guy who didn't seem to have much idea of what to do on the feet before. But um, what happens when he gets pressured? And a lot more stress is put on his ability to defend himself. And uh, there were a couple flashes in the Lacerda fight where he was getting backed up. He didn't look nearly as good. Yep. Lacerda indeed hit him to the body. He caught him on the left hook, like after the first part of the exchange, as as, uh, Blackshear was kind of awkwardly pulling out. And... um, I just think Batista's way more of like uh, died in the wool, a swarming volume fighter. Mm-hmm. Like he, there's not going to be any convincing him to fight that way. He may have gotten smarter fighting that way, but that is absolutely still the way he fights. Every moment you spend standing in front of him, he's like, how do you react to this? Here's a feint or here's a jab. Here's a kick. Oh, you've stepped back. I'm going to eat up that space immediately and start probing you again and then lash in with something vicious that is like four or five punches long. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm totally going to take uh, Batista largely for the initiative and the idea that he is going to get a lot of time to pressure and that he will establish that early. 
but um yeah, guaranteed. I mean, Batista does tend to go to the ground with most of his opponents at some point. And Blackshear is just a beast there. He's yeah, such a an incredibly good scrambler. I, he he looks incredibly strong in tie ups as well. And um, and also like it's it, he is going to get chances to hit Batista. He may not be comfortable doing it, but. Even like Benito Lopez cracked Batista with one really good left hook yeah. as he was stepping back out of the pocket because he's coming in there trying to put five punches together. Yep. Uh, that happens. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm taking Mario. Yeah, it's a great fight, though. Love the fight. Yeah, very good. And you're right. It is a better fight than Batista Garbrandt. It really uh, is. As, a, as an actual contest. Uh, Batista opened at... Uh, there's only a couple books with this this open. Uh, Batista opened at minus 270. It's currently minus 220. Blackshear opened at plus 230, currently at plus 185. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't trust the, the whole quick turnaround for Blackshear as well. I think just on a base That's level, true. that cutting weight twice and that close together is probably going to be deleterious for him. So. He, he, he's not like gigantic, gigantic, but he looks like he must cut a lot of weight. He's a yeah heavily built guy. He's a five, he's five ten with a seventy two inch reach, so yeah, he's, he's about big. as big as a bantamweight gets. Yeah. All right, that brings us to another bantamweight bout: Marlon Vera, Pedro Munoz, and this feels I don't know. This feels like a fight that you could literally just walk through every moment of it to me. Yeah. I think we might've done these out of order, by the way, Tapology has these two fights oh. reversed. Oh, okay. But I, I think was it, on wiki. Of course you were. I think it was the way it was, uh, until recently. So the way you read it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, but Marlon Vera, Pedro Munoz, I like I say, I think you could script this fight personally. How do you mean? Uh well, Pedro Munoz is going to come out in round one, sit down on something, and catch Marlon Vera, take him down afterward, maybe. And I'm not, spend I'm not, so, I'm not so confident in this script, Zane. Uh, and spend a good solid round winning not terribly convincingly but winning against Marlon Vera and then he's going to take his foot off the gas a little and he is going to get absolutely sliced and diced that's my feeling on it it's certainly plausible I don't know that I trust Munoz to win early definitively enough Definitively enough for what? To like have all that success. Well, just for a round. Everybody has that success for a round with Marlon Vera. Well, but but this is this is assuming that Munoz is going to come in here against this big tall guy, and like pressure I, him. I and... just think he's going to have the Chris Gutierrez fight again, except against a version of Chris Gutierrez who won't be convinced. Like, oh wow, that was scary. I should probably not let yeah. myself get caught like that again. Yeah, but see, Gutierrez is fundamentally pressurable. So is Marlon Vera early. Not pressurable, necessarily. 
He doesn't. Marlon Vera is very difficult to consistently back off these days. Like he will bound backwards from single strikes. Yeah. But he does not like fighting off the back foot. And I'm still not sure. I mean, I found the the Gutierrez fight very impressive. But I'm not sure how much of that was the fact that Gutierrez's first instinct to someone stepping into him is always to take a step back. Sure. Uh, that is a way to trigger the like predatory instinct of a fighter like Pedro Munoz, where against a wide variety of other opponents recently, he's not been very aggressive. That was really like a throwback Munoz fight in some ways because he was quite aggressive against Gutierrez. Uh, typically, like we just talked about the Sean O'Malley fight earlier. You know, you'd think you'd want to, like, pressure Sean O'Malley. Uh, counterintuitively, I think he was winning the fight without doing that. So maybe it was a smart call. But, like, he got pressured by Frankie Edgar not too, too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can see, I can see what you're uh, predicting playing out absolutely. But um, I just I don't really trust the style that Munoz has developed over the last few years. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not... Like, I just think Marlon Vera has been taken down in the first round of sure. almost yeah. all of his recent fights, and he's been taken down in all of his recent fights. And I can't imagine that Pedro Munoz will resist trying that early, and especially with Marlon Vera walking him forward on him, will probably find that moment to crack Marlon Vera and be like, oh, okay, well, or, you know, I've cracked him and he's still coming at me. I'll shoot in on him. Yeah. And he should. All these sound like good ideas that will work if he and does. Yeah, it, 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 it almost always works. And I just assume it'll work again here. Maybe, maybe he won't. If he doesn't, then he's just resigned himself to getting, getting, you know, chewed up without having ever made a meaningful yeah. impact on the fight. That's my fear, is that it will be yeah. more one-sided than it really should be anytime anyone fights Cheeto Vera. Yeah. A Cheeto Vera fight should never be one-sided because no. he takes so long to get going. Well, and he knows he's one of the few fights. He's on the Derek Lewis when Derek Lewis was at his best train yeah. or the Yoel Romero when Yoel Romero was at his best train of just being like, yeah, if I give up a bunch of time early on, that's fine. If I yeah. let and myself like get Romero, hit around a little or whatever, yeah. it's not a big deal. Even more like Romero than Lewis, because like Romero, Cheeto knows that someday he'll be proven wrong, but until that happens, he knows he can take whatever you dish out. Yeah. He has yeah. no doubts about his ability to absorb punishment, and he also knows that he is going to punish you much worse a little later. Yep. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with if that is the approach, if Munoz is aggressive, as he should be, if he tries to close the gap, if he tries to put put hands on Cheeto and tries to actually use his excellent wrestling game, he will 100 percent enjoy all that early success because Cheeto just doesn't get going that quickly. I also think that Bear will force that on him. He'll he, he, by he pressuring. Fight. Yeah, he'll he'll pressure and just force that kind of fight out of Munoz. Yeah, that that could be as well. Um Either way, I, I I mean, I agree with the part certainly where Pedro takes his foot off the gas. Yeah. He he does that against everyone. Yeah. He did it against Aldo. He did it against Gutierrez even, uh, who just wasn't like Cheeto Vera enough to actually turn that into a comeback. 
Yep. Um, did it against just, Dominic Cruz? Yep. Did it against? You know, he, he didn't. He never put his foot on the gra- gas against O'Malley. Yep. Did it against uh, Frankie Edgar? For sure. And that was one where he also didn't really put his foot on the gas at all. That was like yeah. the jab fight from Pedro Munoz. He was being technical. Yeah. He, he did it to an extent against Sterling. A lot of guys among these that you would think consistent pressure might break them. Uh, yeah. Munoz, I don't think, can actually maintain that pace. Yeah. And so, yeah, if he goes crazy early, he's going to have success and he will take his foot off the gas. My fear is that he won't go crazy early. Sure. Uh, and may not press the takedowns that are so obviously effective against Cheeto to this day, which used to be a thing that just fully lost him fights. Um, and will therefore just kind of start the slow process of losing from the jump. Yeah, that could be. But- Either way, I expect Cheeto to hit him with some um, apparently effortless but devastating jabs. I expect him to just torture Pedro with his reach and his kicking game. I expect him to uh, turn the first stuffed takedown into a brutally uncomfortable clinch experience for Pedro. Um, And I expect him to just ramp up the pressure the moment that uh, Pedro stops his own pressure. Yeah. It's just, it feels like a very... Pedro Munoz might be the most Marlon Vera uh, Vera Vera-able opponent. (laughs) Marlon Vera-able? In the top 10 or top 15, even, this is like, you know, Munoz is still a good fighter. He's still a very capable top level fighter. But this is, this actually just kind of feels like a nightmare matchup for him, really. Yeah. Because yeah. it's somebody who has all the reach on you, all the length on you, and is never going to be afraid of your power or your grappling game, but is calculated enough in the opportunities that they take that it's not like Cody Garbrandt where Pedro Munoz got that takedown and Garbrandt kicked him off and stood up and then just charged at him with (laughs) 30 of the exact same hooks until Munoz slept him. (laughs) Still a hysterical fight. And it's just like, okay, well, what if you had that? But instead of getting charged at with the exact same hook 30 times over and over again, what if somebody just walked you down and cracked you with a variety of very hard to guess and powerful and precise strikes? Yeah. You know, Munoz's his striking game is. It is made to inspire fear. And if it doesn't inspire fear, right, it can be it can be carved up without that much work. Yeah, the, the best he can hope for against that kind of opponent is a war. And increasingly, Pedro does not enjoy having the war. Yeah, he used to be down for it no matter what. I mean, do you remember his I think it was his UFC debut against Rafael Asuncao. Yeah, an yeah. unusually crazy Rafael Asuncao fight. And he was just down. He was soaking up punishment. He didn't care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is increasingly not something Pedro Munoz wants to do. Yeah. I mean, it used to be that Munoz would just, he would go to war with you right in front of you until you shot in and then he'd jump a a guillotine. And right. His uh, Rob, Rob font fight. 
Rob Font, Justice Goggins, Russell Doan. Yep. You know, and that was his style. And then, yeah, right, right around the Frankie Edgar Aljamain Sterling fights. I think it was after the Sterling fight. Yeah. That like just, Sterling just couldn't be broken and just yeah. kept kept picking him apart. Uh, and, and he enjoyed plenty of success there. It was a war all the way yeah. through, but Sterling just wouldn't go away. And it seemed like yeah. that was the point where Pedro thought he had to reconfigure his game. Yeah, he had to be more cautious, take less punishment, be less aggressive so that he could be in the fight longer. Yeah. But like you're you're just gonna be losing the fight longer than at that point. Like your the aggression is what got you here. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Anyway. Yeah, just feels like a very Marlon Vera winnable fight. Vera opened at minus one seventy six, currently minus one eighty nine. Munoz opened at plus one fifty seven, currently plus one sixty seven. We're going to jump over for our Substack subscribers, though, here in a moment. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.